This is Corey Cross. This is Wade Redden. Hi, this is Braden Holby. Hi, this is Scott Hartnell. My name is Jim Patterson. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. Hey, it's Ron McLean, Hockey Night in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey. Hello, Lloyd Minster. This is Keith Morrison. And welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. We got a great one up for you today. But before we get there, let's get to today's episode sponsors. First off, Clay Smiley and Profit River. The Mike Smith of... Ball hockey. Oh, did I mention that my brothers are still sitting here because we just finished the brothers' roundtable, number six, and they might chime in from time to time. But Profit River is a retailer of firearms, optics, and accessories serving all of Canada. They specialize in importing firearms from the United States, hard-to-find calibers, rare firearms, special editions. Check them out at ProfitRiver.com. Teaming up with the Lloydminster Regional Health Foundation for Giving Tuesday the Radiothon on December 15th to help raise money for the hospital. Uh, uh, just a reminder, if you're going to shoot on Malcolm Radke, go uh, just under his blocker, blocker side, score every time. Yeah, Malcolm might play a little noon hour hockey from time to time, folks. <laughs> but we are doing a 12 hours, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, live stream where we'll sit down with different people from the community, share some stories about the hospital and why it's so important and vital to our community. Last year, we raised $50,000 for a new Pixis automated pill dispensing machine. Uh, that is a mouthful. Uh, this year, we're looking to exceed that goal. We're going to sit down with some uh, some different people from the hospital, experts, that kind of thing, some people from the community, and help try and raise money for a good cause. It'll be on the, be on the lookout for December 15th, 7 a.m. to 7, p- 7 p.m. I got the old mouthfuls going. I got the brothers all staring at me right now. It's not helping. Facebook Live. HSI Group, they are the local oil field burners and combustion experts. They can help make uh, sure you have a compliance system working for you. The team also offers a security surveillance and automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. They use technology to give you peace of mind so you can help focus on the things that truly matter. Give Brody or Kim a call over at 306-825-6310 or stop in at 3902 52nd Street. Now, Clinton team over at Trophy Gallery, uh, they are... the group that uh once again i got three brothers that normally i sit they're the group that came up with the don's cup well and they put all the names on the cup except for your uh your legend he's still doesn't got his name on the cup but they do a great job sorry who's great the legend? cup who, I, I don't know who, who's the legend in legend mike crawford <laughs> you know normally folks sorry mike First off, the legend of the Don's Cup family family uh, trophy that's been going on now for what fourteen years, boys? Yeah, oh six, oh six. Um, normally I do this and I yell at myself in a quiet, padded room and nobody says anything. But when you're trying to rattle off um, perfect advertisements, you don't have three guys sitting there staring at you that have been drinking scotch for the last hour and a half. Well, I got that tonight. So trophy gallery. Yes, they do the Dawn's Cup. They also do championship belts, custom medals, die-cast signage, name tags, engraving on Yetis and Brewmates. They ship Canada-wide, and if you go to trophygallery.ca, they got more than 5,000 products that uh, if you use the promo code NEWMAN, you get 15% off. You know, if they do belts, maybe we should get them to make up a belt 
when we have the Newman uh, fight to see who is the toughest brother. Actually, and then the how Newman about a Newman a, belt for the Newman belt? What about what about purple ribbon? Could, would they do a purple ribbon for Croft? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking if they put up a belt, then I could wear it. They'd have to make it extra small, but I'd maybe we should have there. a maybe we should have a belt for the bet. Then you get the belt. I still. Like I mean, after hair. I kick hey, Dustin's ass, it doesn't much gonna, matter. If we're gonna, anyway, no, if we're gonna find out who the toughest Newman is, we might as well make a belt to to commemorate it, right? You hold it for a year. Hey, all I'm saying is, any sport, any time, from bodybuilding to hockey, trophies, plaques, and medals. Visit Trophy Gallery. You'll hear all about the Brothers Roundtable in a couple days, folks. Gardner Management is a Lloyd Minster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether you're looking for a small office space for, like, I'm in, or a 6,000-square-foot commercial space. Give Wade Gartner a call, 780-808-5025. SMP Billboard, always a huge shout-out to Deanne and Wandler and the team over at Read and Write. They always make me look pretty sharp and... uh, Never and a that's week. not the easiest thing to do. It isn't. It isn't. <laughs> he is the younger, younger brother, so he does have still have a good head of hair uh-huh, compared to uh-huh, you. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. Yeah, well, I noticed the uh, three of us uh, wore a hat. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of it. I'm never doing this with people in the room ever again. If you're heading into any of these businesses, make sure you let them know you heard about them on the podcast or from the podcast. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, visit com. In the top right corner, hit contact button. Send me your information. We got lots of different options, and we will find something that works for the both of us. Now let's get on to that uh, T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. Originally from Trail, B.C., he was drafted in 1982 by the Hartford Whalers, 88th overall. He holds the WHL record with 108 goals in a single season. Over his 18 years in the NHL, he played 1,258 games with 408 goals, 490 assists, and 898 points. He can be found on the Ray and Drags podcast, color commentating on the EA Sports NHL video game, or in between the benches on TSN broadcast. I'm talking about Mr. Ray Ferraro. So buckle up. Here we go. Hey, this is Ray Ferraro. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Well, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ray Ferraro. So first off, thanks for hopping on. Uh, No, you bet. Uh, As I said, just offline, man, sometimes my scheduling is, uh, I got to fire my scheduler, which is me, and uh, because I really suck at it, but... uh, we're here. So glad to be here. So what we're talking about before we started was uh, uh, Joe Rogan and whether I like him or not. And so for your brain, I really like Joe Rogan. Um, I built the idea behind my podcast off of listening to Joe Rogan. And uh, you're mentioning how much you like. I, I personally, I don't like everything he does. I like, uh, I probably like, I'm not saying I haven't listened to every single one. So I can't say that, you know, I don't like 50% of it. But I know that I really, really, really like about 20% of it. When he talks to interesting people and they talk about things that makes your brain tick, uh, that to me is amazing. And so for me, that's what I really, really like about Joe Rogan. Uh, I, I would agree. I, I like hearing about something I, 
I think I might know about. And then you go, wow, I didn't know that, or I didn't know this, or, or something I know nothing about, which is probably more common with, with Joe Rogan. I also listen, one other one I like a lot is, uh, um, <clears throat> is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. With Dak Shepard, yeah. And, and just because like some of the stuff is so random and, and I, 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 I like that he, he thinks he knows a lot. And then as he gets in there, he's like, damn, I didn't know that either. Like, that's what it, I don't know. I think that can be super interesting is learning along with the guy that has an opinion that thought he learned before. And then he's like, oh, I didn't know that. I, 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 I really enjoy them. I, I mean, my wife is a devoted listener to Dax and my older boys are Joe Rogan guys. And that's how I kind of got hooked up into both. Well, Dax is interesting. Well, and even even your guys' podcast, you and, and Dregs, like the ability to get the names they do is just so interesting because, um, you know, like Tom Brady going on Dax or uh, um, I first listened to uh, Keith Morrison, who during COVID, we figured out it was born in Lloyd Minster. And that's, you know, why I razzed NBC until I finally got through to him. But Putting people on a, a long form podcast where there's no 10 second answer and then they're off, right? Is really yeah. interesting because it really allows you to experience the person and the way their brain thinks. And then what Dax and uh, Joe Rogan do so well is they get like really, really smart people on, like that you give a, a question to and you're just like, oh, like that is, that is some, some, something to chew on. See, I think the best part of a podcast and, you know, so Dregs and I are, first of all, the guests we get, 98% that's Dregs. He's so connected and he's able to dial into people. And so <clears throat> in that sense, I'm kind of along for the ride. Um, the, so, and we keep it, you know, it's pretty tight to hockey. Um, I, I would like, and in season two, I think we'll explore a little bit wider view just for what you're talking about is that there's some interesting stuff that is kind of tied into the game, but it's not really. But my favorite part of the podcast is when the host and the guest are talking about something and one of them will say some something and it just takes them down this left turn. The rabbit hole. That's the gold right there. That's, that's yeah. the stuff. Well, it's the stuff that never gets talked about. Right. Because when, when you when you see yourself or anyone for that matter on uh well any sports broadcast, it's very yeah. specific, right? Obviously, yeah. it's about a hockey game, it's about sports, it's about what's going on behind the scenes, and it's very like this is what it is. That's what people pay to see. That's what they want to see. They want to see so much content on, you know, I'm I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan. We want to see so much content on Connor McDavid, it makes you sick. But then we still want a little bit more, right? And we just want another twist. And what's so cool about, uh, once again, can bring it back to the podcast, is the rabbit holes. You you wanna you wanna experience what the guys actually like. And oh, I didn't realize that. And that, that's an interesting thought. And for me, I just look at your career, Rain. Like I was too young to not too young to remember you playing. I guess you know by the time you're in um, Atlanta, I'm around you know a young teenager. So, but then again, we weren't getting a whole lot of Atlanta games in Saskatchewan, right? People in people in Atlanta weren't getting a lot of. 
<laughs> but what for me, where you came across my radar is uh, a couple of things, right? Like, A, when you got into broadcasting, you are like top five, I would say. And I, I don't mean that to, to pat you on the back. Like, you're really, really, really good. Um, and then I started, I listened to Jason Greger and you're one of his guests on his show. Man, every time, like it's one of the things you kind of pencil in through the week. Like it'd be, it'd be good. And you're once again on his show, one of the top five guests, right? And then to top it off, somehow, I don't know whose arm you had to twist. You get on EA sports. Not that I, I got three kids four and under, not that I play a whole lot of video games, but when you're the guy commentating it, man, it just makes it even better. And I don't know how the heck you got hooked up with that. Well, you know, I, as you get older, I guess you, you know, and certainly in these last seven or eight months, we've all had time to look back and look forward maybe, and kind of reflect a little bit on like, how did I get to here? Which is of course, in a world right now where everything seems a little bit, you know, twisted off to the side. And, um, when I was playing, um, I was with the Islanders and I became a free agent and I signed with the Rangers in 1995. And <clears throat> so I'm super excited. I signed a four-year contract. I scored 25 goals in 54 games. And then I get traded to Los Angeles. Um, I was blindsided. And had I known I was going to end up in Los Angeles, I would have never signed with the Rangers. Right. Like, why, why would you make two moves? We, you know, you, there was no need or, you know, I had other options, put it that way. Um, however, the, the trade went down, um, you know, that they, they felt that I was too small, which really pissed me off because I was the same size when they signed me in July that I was in March. Right. It's not like I shrunk. And um, they brought in Marty McSorley and Yari Curry, who were at the very ends of their career and Shane Churla. Um, and so Mark Messier wanted, you know, trusted those guys. And I, I understood it, but I didn't want to be the guy going the other way. So I went the other way with Nathan Lafayette um, and unbelievably Matthias Nordstrom. Um, we went the other way. And um, Maddie ended up being the captain in LA. And, you know, so we end up in LA. So I get to LA there's like, I don't know, 20 games left, something like that. About 10 games later, my agent gets a call from ESPN and this guy named Barry Sachs. And Barry has long been, you know, you always need somebody to maybe believe in you a little bit. And Barry was the head of on-air personnel. They call it talent, which we always laugh at. We're like, talent, whatever. The on-air people at ESPN too. And he called my agent and said, hey, would Ray like to come in and do the first round of the playoffs as an analyst? So my agent, Steve Bartlett, called me and said, uh, do you want to go do this? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you know, it seems like something you should explore. So I flew to Hartford, drove to the studio. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We had a meeting at 3.30. So they're talking about where they're going to bring in all the highlights and all this stuff. I got no idea, Sean, what, what they're talking about. I'm just sitting there, right? And, and then you'll have a comment here and you'll have a comment there. And then at seven o'clock, we start watching the games. At 11 o'clock, we go on the air. So there's only at that time in the studio, there's three cameras in front of us, right? It's not that hard to find your camera. It's the one with the red light on it. 
But my first day, I'm terrified. I can't find my camera. I feel like I'm jittery all over the place. By the time the show was over, I had a sweat stain from my elbow to my ribs. I was terrified. So I do the two weeks and apparently it went well. And they said, hey, we'd like you to come back next year if you're available for, for a month for the first two rounds. So the point of the story is that I was so disappointed to go to get traded from New York to Los Angeles. And then that opened up my second career, which I think maybe I thought I would pursue somehow. I didn't even really know how, but I thought I was going to get into coaching for sure. And then all of a sudden, 2002 came, I retired in St. Louis. Um, Craig Simpson was, had left the broadcast booth to go coach with the Oilers. And so Sportsnet had an opportunity to uh, audition for the color job. I'd done one game of color. So I flew to Edmonton with Kevin Quinn, um, who I met on the plane that day. We did an audition off a TV box, a 13 inch screen. And it was a game of the previous year. And, I, and we did the game. And somehow I got hired. And I worked there for five years and then I worked at TSN for, you know, I've been working at TSN since 2008. And along the line, I live in Vancouver and EA Sports is in Burnaby, which just outside of Vancouver. And um, I got a call, hey, would you like to come in and audition for, to do the video game? And I'm like, sure, I guess, I don't know, right? So I went in there and it was nothing like I thought. I thought there would be a game playing and I would be re and I would be just reacting to what I see. But it's not like that. It's not even close to that. I have to create all of the content. So it'll say on the screen, uh, player comes down the wing, shot, goalie makes a pad save. And that's all it says. And I have to make up 10 things that are that. However, they can't be too specific because they've got to they got to drive for, yeah, drive for a million a hours of gameplay. Right. I often hear now people are pissed off that, oh, I wonder if Ray scored two empty net goals, which apparently gets said in the game a lot, which I scored two empty net goals. I said it one time. Now, I don't know what obviously an empty net goal triggers it, but some people are getting sour. I try to explain to people, you realize when we're doing the game, I'm not at the game. Right. Like I'm not there. I'm not watching you play. I've recorded this stuff months and years before. And it triggers, however, the computer algorithms trigger it. How much would it cost Ray to have Ray sit there and narrate a game for you? And <laughs> oh, I think it would be fun. Not very much. I, I do like pizza. Uh, I love golf. <laughs> I would say that would probably be the a pizza and a round of golf and I'll probably do it. Oh, I bet you there you're gonna get thousands of emails in because uh, people would love. Well, can you imagine? I listen. We've all played video games. You play it enough. Are you any good? Ah, uh, I don't know. What's good enough to make a million dollars? No, but, no, but uh, no, not like the guys that play professionally at it, right? But I'm like, I go to play, and I get a ten and a thirteen year old. They don't even play me anymore. I'm of no challenge. <laughs> So we played, this was, I don't know, a couple months ago, my 10-year-old, he took England and I had Canada. 
and and he beat me two to one. No. You can imagine what the talent disparity was there, and I still lost. Uh, I would like to think that I could maybe beat you, but then again, I I uh, I don't know how I'd do against a thirteen year old that that can obviously play that well with a with England because England is not very good. No, and he's he's telling me, and when we play FIFA as well, we're uh, our boys both play soccer. That's their number one sport. So the first time we play, their guys are running around the field super fast, slide tackling, taking the ball away, and my guys are running around like they got cement in their shoes. And I'm like, why is that happening? And they, they hadn't told me about the turbo the boot. Sp- the speed burst. And I'm like, well, guys, that's not fair. They were just, you know, hey, dad, good. You got one shot today. <laughs> Great, way to go. I'll give you this, FIFA's tough, especially if you play against guys who've uh, played some. It's it's not quite the same thing as just hopping in any, well, and plus hockey. I don't know about you, but when you play the game, my brain just thinks the game so well. Like you, you just understand it. Where FIFA is a little foreign to me. Yeah, we we um, it's pretty. When I sometimes I'll make a pass in the FIFA game, I don't even know how I passed it. It just goes to the next guy. That's that's my level of play. Going back to uh, you getting traded and going to LA, you know that brings up uh, me and Tim McAuliffe were actually talking about it a couple episodes ago, uh, episodes ago, and it's come up multiple multiple times on on this ep- uh podcast is about the maybe parable uh you know like oh you got traded to la that's oh terrible and you go well maybe and then you know now you get uh, your opportunity oh that's so great for you well maybe right and have you ever heard that uh chinese farmer uh yes um not in the as the maybe the maybe but yes and it's crazy how things um, spring out of an opportunity that you don't even know. Yeah. Realize. Um, There was, there was this young pitcher um, that died in a motorboat for the Florida Marlins. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm going to forget the manager. He was sitting at a, uh, a banquet with him the prior winter and he just, they connected, you know, this young pitcher and the, and the manager. And, and he said after he passed away that, you know, he's done a lot of thinking about being where your feet are, not trying to be anywhere else. And this is all, and it is stuck with me. Like, like it's like it's glued to me now is just to be where your feet are because I've, I've had, I hope like lots of people have had this, growth in their life. I'm 56 years old, right? I'm not the person I was when I'm 30 or 40. I'm not even the person I was when I'm 50. And I was always like, I was constantly told too small, too short, not fast enough, not tough enough. And um, Brendan Gallagher just said, he doesn't go trying to prove people wrong. He tries to prove people right. He sees the people that believe in him and he wants to prove them right. It's such a great way to look at things. I never did that. I was like, F you, I will show you that I'm good enough, tough enough, fast enough. And so I fought this insecurity everywhere to, to the benefit in my career, to the detriment in a lot of other things. And so like, I would love to go back to my younger self and say, hey, stop for five seconds and just look 
and see, is there anything here that you could be grateful for? Is there anything here that is an opportunity? Are you missing something? Hell, I miss Sean. I miss so much in the NHL because my focus was I'm in the league and I'm not leaving. Nobody is pushing me out. And so I was like the most narrow-minded, angry, driven person. And in the meantime, we would go to all these cities. I never go anywhere. I never went and saw anything. I never went and did anything. And it's a shame. I miss that part. I can't go back, but I can change it. And so you ask about the, the parable. And so I got, I got traded to LA and I lived for four years in LA. Oh man, it was beautiful. It was fantastic. I come back from practice and I always had a blanket and a book in the back. And so you could, people would say, oh, you can't focus playing hockey in, in January in LA. Yeah, it's 70 degrees. And I drove back and I'd stop at the beach before I had to pick the kids up at school and read for an hour. Gee, terrible. Right. I have my lunch and I read, you know, like it, it was, it was awesome. And so as time went on, you know, at the time I didn't know, but I ended up meeting my wife, Cammie in Los Angeles. She was, she was a color commentator for one year, uh, 98, 99. They won the gold medal in February of 98. She was hired for 98, 99 to be the radio voice. And so I met her there and then she went off to go play. And years later, I was back training in LA. I was still playing, but now I'm in Atlanta. And um, she's training in the same gym. Like, if I don't get traded to LA, how would I ever meet her? How would Luke Robitaille ever introduce me to the trainer who ran the gym where I re-met her? Like, it, it wouldn't have been. And so I, I think about it a lot. And... Um, I, th I think about it now, even when I don't think about it, if that, if that makes any sense, I'm like, I, I look around here. I live in Vancouver, I'm looking out the window today. And I, like in the past, man, I would look and go, yeah, nice day. Now I, I notice a whole bunch of different things and I wish to hell I would have noticed it 20 years ago. I can't, uh, uh, a, that's really good advice for anyone listening Two. I can't, my brain can't see, uh, or always sees that. And every guy I interview, it's, uh, whether, you know, Brian Burke was telling me about the snowstorm that got him into hockey. And I'm like, like, what, what is that? That's unbelievable. Right? Like the snowstorm doesn't happen. Maybe he does get into hockey. Right. Maybe, maybe that happens. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, you mentioned Messier wanted different guys. I mean, what happens if he just yeah, you and Mess all of a sudden are lighting it up and you're scoring a 50-goal season and you never move anywhere. Then you don't find, you know, like, or maybe you do. I don't know, but that's... Well, I wouldn't have started in broadcasting right away because I would have still been playing in the playoffs. Right, right. And and so it's... It's an unbelievable it's, story. Like, don't you think, Sean, like, like, well, you tell me if you disagree. Um, you know, the, everybody's life, they say, oh, it's this journey. Well, rarely is the journey... You know, like when you leave your driveway, rarely is the journey exactly how you think to wherever you're going. There's going to be traffic. There's going to be, um, oh, geez, I got to get gas. Oh, crap. My wife just texted me. We're out of milk. I got to get milk. Like something. There's always something little that bumps your journey around. Now, just think of your life. 
there, there are times, and I honestly think this, I'm 56, um, I've, been, I've been married twice, um, I'm, I've got four boys um, and two grandkids, and I played 18 years in the NHL, I've now broadcast for 20, and I don't know how the hell I got here. Like, you did, like if, you, if you tried to plot it all the way, you just couldn't. There's just, there's just no way that you would, I don't think anyway, you can have the greatest grand plan. You could have Tiger Woods grand plan of, you know, his parents had him as just a little guy hitting golf balls into the dryer on uh, Mike Douglas, the Mike Douglas show. Like it could be all like that, but that's Tiger Woods. It's the greatest of all time. For most of us, you kind of fall and there's that great term fall forward. If you fall, just keep falling forward. Pick yourself up and do the best with what you got at that point and fall forward again. And, and it's, you know, when I read that too, it's really good advice, but being where your feet are has stuck to me like glue. And it has been, um, it has been a real helpful mantra a lot, of, a lot since I've read that. You know, you bring up Tiger Woods, and I, I've read his story. His story is unbelievable. And yet, I got three kids, like I say, four and under. It's uh, You're busy. A holy hell, <laughs> tires on fire kind of days. Lots of fun. Lots of wrestling. My oldest boy is a tornado, uh, and it's a lot of fun, right? And you read about how Tiger Woods' dad trained him and how talented he was from what seems like very, very early. You go... Yeah, but do you want that? Like, do you really want that? Is that how you, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of things that go on in a, in a, in a kid's life early on. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. If they're going to go down that path, certain kids are just prone to that, like immediately. And others just want to wander and explore and you just encourage them and, and see where they go. And I, I don't know, Tiger Woods. Absolutely. Uh, that video of him last year going down whatever hole that is, and the fans just like oh, at eighteen at the Masters. That was- you just you just like what on earth is that? That's a, that's a sporting moment that will forever be locked in my brain. But what he had to sacrifice to get there, an awful lot, in my opinion. Well, I think one of the biggest uh, issues for parents is they would love to always provide their kids with the best opportunity to be whatever they're going to be yet. You don't know where the line is to have I stepped over it to be an absolute lunatic (laughs) or am I just providing? So I I, I really, I understand the, um, the difficulty in the balance of that. However, parents tend to look at the best players, the best leagues and say, how do I get my kid to there? But before there, there's all this other stuff in the middle from where the kid is to making it as a pro. I don't even know what the numbers are, but to get drafted is a minuscule number. Look at how many of those drafted players never get a sniff, not one game. And so if your boy or girl loves a sport, I think it's important to support them. It's important to give them every opportunity to improve. But as the parent, you have to be the voice of reason because nobody else is going to be. 
Nobody can care about your son or daughter as much as you. You're, you might have an amazing coach, but when the game's over or the practice is over, he goes home to his family. You go home to yours. So if you can support your child to the point that you help grow their innate love for the game, then you're doing your job. Because you could do, uh, you could do every drill that Connor McDavid does. Every drill, do them in the same order on the same days. And your kid's not gonna be Connor McDavid. The, the body part mechanics, they didn't get put together the same way. The processor didn't get put together the same way. Everybody's different. And so when I, even to the extent of when I see uh, commentators say, oh, it's a copycat league because Tampa Bay won this way. That's how what we have to do. You can try and replace everybody to look like Tampa's guys. However, your facsimile of Nikita Kucherov is not Nikita Kucherov. Your facsimile of that behemoth mountain man, Victor Hedman, is not Victor Hedman. So you're always chasing. You're always chasing. Help your kids and your team, if you're coaching, look at what you have and make that the best it can be. And then let the love and the passion grow. It's the only way you can get better. Sean, when I was a little kid, we, we didn't have summer hockey and skills things. So it's, it's kind of apples to oranges comparing it, right? But right after spring break, my hockey equipment went in the basement and um, put away. And uh, I got my baseball stuff out. And I played baseball all the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the driveway, we had this, um, this little carport. Uh, I mean, as a kid, it felt like a long carport. It was, it was probably 15 feet long. And so I get my mom to back the car out. And I had a net. And in the summer, I would be shooting pucks with a stick. I don't know if kids still call them toothpicks anymore, but I had worn the thing way down. It was so skinny. And I would just shoot balls and pucks constantly. And my mom's friends would say, why doesn't Ray do something fun? And she'd say, but, but he thinks that is fun. And I'd have my own game. I'd have my own national anthem that I'd sing before I start. I was just a little guy, but I loved it. And my parents never skated. You know, their parents came from Italy. They didn't know anything about hockey. They just knew that, yeah, he likes to go play. And so they provided that opportunity for me. I didn't get my first pair of new skates till I was 12. And it, it's not a hardship story. It's, that's what we had. But I loved it so much. I mean, to me, they were fantastic. So I think the parents can go overboard. The kid goes down this little rabbit hole and what happens is there's no balance. There's no balance in the kid's life. And if there's no balance in anything, it tends to fall apart. And I would say just to bring this back to my life, there was a time in my life, there was no balance. There was no balance. And I had to learn that. And fortunately, um, you know, it was mostly Cammy that taught me the balance and it took a long time to get there. A, I, I, I agree with you uh, thoroughly about kids. Uh, encouragement can go a long way. Uh, one of the things that's always attracted me to what you talk about, Ray, is I'm a small guy. I played defense. I'm five, you know, I like to stretch it, five, seven. And, oh, uh, I'm almost five, ten, too. 
as a as a, as a young guy, I remember going to junior camps and being told if I was four inches taller, I'd be on the team. And you want to talk about things firing a young guy up? Uh, that's I, I fought with that all my life. Um, used to. Uh, I, I'm an angry man on the ice. I love it, but it's always been, um, you have to find a way to prove yourself because you're not the big juggernaut who's six foot four and walks in and everybody goes, that guy's going somewhere. It's been the complete opposite. I've had to, I think, you know, maybe I tell myself a story, but I've had to find ways to prove that I'm worth being on a team. So I see a lot of guys come across this, that the people who believe in them, there's an immediate attraction because for a lot of us, that doesn't happen easy for somebody to believe in what you're doing and, and really enjoy it. And for hockey players specifically, for a coach to find you and really enjoy how you play, I feel like that's a little bit rare at times because there's a lot of a lot of coaches that uh, they don't realize it or maybe they do. And if they just instill some of that encouragement, man, you can get a lot out of a player or a kid. Well, okay. So I grew up at a time when you know, coaches were hard on players and that's all we knew. And as we know now, that's not the way to be. When you think about it at your job, if your boss came and yelled at you every time you did something a little bit wrong, would that help you be better? Or would you go, man, this guy's an ass and start, you'd start to withdraw or you'd start to go, I'm not going to take that chance because on the off chance it's wrong. Why do I want to get yelled at? The best coaches in today's game, and if they haven't all been weeded out yet, those old dinosaurs, they're getting weeded out, thankfully. But the best coaches make the connection you're talking about to the player. And so I try to do this when, when I broadcast. Uh, I think I'm, I think, and I, you know, it's been 20 years, I hope, I hope this comes across. I try to be really fair. I try to be really honest but I also try to remember how hard it is to play. Like it is, it's, you will never hear me. And if, if you do, please email me and tell me that I will never say, uh, so-and-so has got to do something better with the puck. Oh, really? He just passed it to the other team and they scored. Like, really? That's my, that's my analysis. My job's to say, um, he's looking up the middle of the ice. He's focused in there, but really he's got another option over here. Right. Like that. But my point is there's a more positive way to make the same point. A coach can tell you as a defenseman, hey, Sean, look, that forward's six foot six. You can't go running into him because you're going to lose every time. So instead of doing that, why not go in with your stick out, force him into the corner where he runs out of room? He can't turn as fast as you because you're you're five seven and he's six six. And you go. Oh, I could do that. As opposed to him saying, you got to be better. Oh, really? The guy beat me to the net. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> and so I, I, I think there's a, a change happening. Yet the hardest part is to communicate and to keep that communication open because, and, and I think this gets lost a little bit with the kids today. You know, I, I ran quite a few skates when my son Landon, who was playing in Germany, yeah. uh, well, he will be as soon as they ever get started, if they do this year. Um, when I was running the skates for those kids, um, they've got to be open to the message too. And so if they're not open, that's not their fault. It's my fault. I've got to find a way to make it 
an acceptable message to them. One that they go, oh yeah, I get it. It's not the kid's fault. The kid's a kid, I'm the adult, I'm supposed to get this. And if I don't get it, I'm supposed to learn a new way to get it. Um, the best coach in the world, smartest guy. He can't get his message to the 18 guys sitting in front of him. He's just another guy in a suit. The communication is everything. It, it, it is, it's everything in business. Um, I've, you know, I'm, I'm now in the business world through, you know, through broadcasting and the way our bosses communicate to us is, is everything. Like a one note email of, Hey, you did a good job last night. I don't need anything more than that, man. It makes you puff your chest out. You feel great about it. Or if something went wrong, give me a call. We need to talk about that. And so I give them a call and they're like, Hey, about this and this and this. And you're like, Oh, okay. But because they've opened up the bridge, yeah, it feels easy. And I think that's, I think that's really important. Uh, parents to kids, like your kid doesn't go to the field or the rink to suck at the game. They go to play well, or they go to have fun. And really it took me forever to get this. You know what they want to hear from me after the game? Um, hey, uh, I really had fun watching you play today. That's what they want to hear. Do, do you think they want to come off the ice or their field and have me dissect their game? The best lesson I got on this was my 13 year old. He was about 10. And so he plays up top in soccer. So he's, you know, he's at one of the forwards and they were ahead in a game by a goal. The ball was in the corner in the opposite end. And I was right where I was standing. And so I yell at him, Riley hunt it. Like I want him to get on it. He doesn't pay any attention to me. He doesn't hunt it. Game ends, they win one nothing. So we're in the car on the way home. And he's like, dad, I heard you yell at me to hunt it. But you know, if I run at the ball there and they play it into the middle and then it goes up to the other side, they've got the whole field to go up. He goes, my job's to keep it in the corner. And I said, you know what I'm gonna do, right? I'm gonna shut up and watch the games from now on. <laughs> that was just, it was just a little conversation. I'm like, what the hell do I know? He doesn't wanna listen to me, he's got a coach. You're giving me vivid memories. So I'm the youngest of five siblings. I got three older brothers and older sister. All three brothers played hockey. My sister was a, um, a very talented figure skater. And dad was fantastic at, um, I was a small guy. So I, when you go back to uh, going to the corner with a big guy, you're right. The coaches would say, you got to be better. Well, what the fuck does better mean? Right? I mean, honestly, what does better mean? You and already dad, know the guy ran you over. You're like, yeah, I yeah, get it. I get it. And oh. dad, dad would bring us home and in the living room, he'd get our sticks out and he'd go, okay, this is what you're going to do next time because this is what happens. And if you do this, and uh, one of the things I think was a trademark in my game was two things. I'm a small guy, so uh, I can't run over a six foot six guy, but I can hip check like nobody's business. And so I had a mean hip check. Many a man has gone over the, the, the hips. And that's, it's, it's fun and it's easy and I can, it's a, a talent, a skill. But the other thing is, is the ability to use the net. And uh, we, dad and I will sit and watch a hockey game. We always, there's certain guys that just have a knack for it. And then there's certain guys that are just big and they never had to use the net. But the net is, is the best center, uh, football center. You can't run through it. You ha everybody has to go through uh, around it. And so if you learn how to use that, you have a, as a defenseman, whether you're big or small, this ability to 
steer guys where you want them to go and pop out the other side and make them chase you and, and around you go. And dad taught me that at a really, really young age. And I remember coaches being like, like you use the net really well, but they couldn't pass that along that, that knowledge along to kids. They just say, you need to be better because better is, you know, was the coin term, right? You just need to be better. Well, what does better mean? How do I translate that into actually getting better and playing more and playing, you know, and improving. And dad used to sit us down all the time and all of us boys have fond memories of it and just little things that he could just communicate to you. He was a great, um, Wade Redden's dad, Gord, uh, and, and dad coached together, uh, back when Wade and, and, uh, his other brother, Bart and my oldest brother were all playing together. And dad was such, he still is such a fantastic assistant coach because he can just relate to guys, what guys are, or the head coach is trying to say. If he's got that in his head and he can't get it to the player, it doesn't matter. It's like my high school chemistry teacher that was really smart. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. So I started to play hockey more. I'm like, man, I can't figure this out. Like he couldn't get this stuff out of his head to, to me anyway. He probably could to a lot of other people. But your dad has to be able to get that idea to the players. Otherwise, it's just nothing. It just, it just is. My dad, man, my dad died in, in December of 1994. It was uh, like... It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me um, in my life. And then mom passed 10 years later. And so, you know, I, I miss my parents. Like, you know, I, I miss them so much. Uh, but dad and I, we were like, like, we were like this. And to the, like, uh, I used to sit in his chair with him till I was 11, watching Walter Cronkite at the six o'clock news. Till finally he said, Raymond, you're too big. Get, go sit in your chair over there. You know, you don't fit. So dad and I, like, I wanted to be everywhere he was. So I turned pro. I, I buy him a satellite dish, which, you know, were a, weren't a thing back then in the mid 80s. So it's kind of like the satellite dish, like you would see at a TV station, you know, the big enormous yeah. white thing. You're talking to the aliens. Yeah. So it's 2,500 bucks at the time. I bought it and I got it installed on the roof. And so the game would be on at 4.30 in Vancouver, or in Trail, BC, where I'm from. We'd be in Hartford. He'd watch the game, and then he'd watch the replay. By the time I'd get home from the game, he'd watch the game twice. And so we would discuss, oh, I call every night. And I'd, hey, Dad, how would you think? And we'd talk about the game. And he had a way, with never having skated, of saying, you know, you remember that play in the second period and I'd have to scratch my head and go, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he'd seen it twice and we'd talk about things. But the whole point is my dad was able to get, and my mentor was able to get the message to me in a way that I could understand. And if I couldn't understand it, then you got to figure it out again. And you got to come at it in a different angle because that message can be passed along. Just as the leader, you've got to find the way to pass it along. Oh, that's, ah, there's something special about being a, uh, being a father. And oh, when, when, when you, <laughs> I think yeah, it's every not at the point yet where your boys think you're an idiot. I was thinking, you know, the, the funny thing about parenting is 
every year you think you just think, man, I'm starting to get this a little bit. Well, they get a little older and their temperament changes or they start doing something else. And then you're like, or maybe I don't got this yet. Right. And that's going to go on for life. I, I suppose. Yes. I, I had four boys uh, born in 88, 91, 06 and 09. And so I used to say this thing to Cammy, which I don't say anymore. Um, uh, something would happen and we'd have a, you know, like a disagreement on how our kids, the 06 and 09s, how we should deal with it. Right. And I'd say, Cammy, I've been doing this since 1988, right? I've been raising kids since 1988. Of course, it doesn't mean I was doing it right. It just meant I was <laughs> doing it since 1988. And so the evolution of what happens, what happened yesterday doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. What you think you know about parenting is like, pfft, you know, you're, they all, there's the old line. You don't get, you know, you get a handbook uh, when you buy a toaster, you get instructions, you know, and they just, they hand you your baby and you walk home and you're like, well, I don't know what to do. First time I'd ever held a baby was Matt, my oldest, 1988, never held a baby before. I'm like, what? Well, no, I don't know what to do. I was 24 years old. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the most satisfying, enlightening, frustrating, hard, rewarding thing. It, being a parent, it's, but I'll tell you, one day you're going to get to the grandparent stuff. It is the best. Grandparenting is the best gig of all time. Our, our two little guys, Enzo and Aria, are, they are so cute. They want ice cream. They get ice cream. They, it doesn't matter. You're, you're the, the grandparents that uh, we drop our kids off with my parents. Uh, shout out to my mom and dad. They're awesome. But they walk in at 8.30 in the morning and cookies are already in their mouth. And I'm That's like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? You're killing me here. My, my son said to me, it was like 1030 and Enzo had a little bowl of ice cream. And he's like, dad, seriously, like it's 1030. I'm like, look at him. He's sitting there, <laughs> right? you know, so cute. Um, I just realized uh, it, it's uh, the, the time frame we had set up, Ray, is just past. So do I got you for a few more minutes just to, sure, uh, well, I, I really want to ask you about, um, I have an end segment, which is five quick questions. But before we get there, you are a guy who holds, I believe still holds, the record for most goals in the WHL in a single season with 108, which is just like hurts my brain. And we, I've talked a lot about different guys who have really, you know, as you move up the the divisions, right? You're a great uh, midget player, Bantam player, right? And then you go to the next level. And well, everybody there is just as good. And then, you know, all the way up to the NHL, which you now you're playing with the best of the best of the best. After your 108 goal season, how hard was the adjustment or was there an adjustment to the Hartford Whalers? Like I know uh, in looking at the career, you started out in the AHL. Mm-hmm. So obviously you didn't walk in and just, light it up your first game and score six goals. And everyone's like, we got the Ferraro kid here. Here we go. Right. How hard is the adjustment going from, you know, being the MVP of the WHL, uh, scoring 108 goals, which just saying that is like, what? And, yeah. and then, and then trying to translate that into making a career of it. Cause a lot of kids have fantastic dub careers 
And as we were talking about the percentages of how small it is, there's a hard, there's a, there's a jump there. There's a mindset there. There's something there when you go to that next level that is extremely tough for a lot of guys to, to make the transition to. Well, okay. So I got traded. We won the Memorial cup when I was 18 in Portland. Yeah. You get to play with a, a guy named Cam Neely. Yeah. He was on, he was on the top line with, so our top line was Kenya Remchuk, who was a first rounder to Chicago, Cam Neely and a guy named Randy Heath who scored 50 goals every year in junior. He was awesome. Our second line was Alfie Turcott, who was a first rounder to Montreal. Uh, his son just went, no, or two years ago, went number five to Los Angeles, um, Alex. And then we had uh, Grant Sasser and Rich Crom, who played with the Calgary Flames. That was our second line. I was on the third line. So, you know, I was just fighting for airtime. And um, we won the Memorial Cup and me and four other guys got traded to Brandon for one player. And I didn't want to go. And my dad, who I've, I've talked about here, who's my, you know, just everything to me, said, Raymond, why, why don't you go? These guys wanted you. Just give it a chance. Of course, he was overlooking the fact that there were four other guys in the trade. You know, I don't know how much they wanted. Anyway, so I go there two days before the season. We play our first game in Winnipeg. I get three goals. We have the home and home game. I get three goals the second game. I get six goals in two games. This is awesome. So the year goes by. It's amazing. I get to Hartford's training camp. I'm there four days and I get sent to the American League. Like they didn't even. Four days. Four days. Not even an exhibition game. Didn't even, didn't even get a sniff. And same thing. Too small, too slow, not tough enough. And so I go to Binghamton and the American League was a tough place. It's no place in 1984 for 160 pound forward. And it, I, I was scared to death. And uh, we had a couple, we had a couple of nights where um, to call them brawls would be an understatement. Um, at one point we had a pregame mess with uh, Nova Scotia with the Oilers farm team. They ended up bringing police dogs on the ice. I don't know what the dogs were going to do. They were scratching the ice, licking the ice. But anyway, it was just a gong show. I scored 21 goals, I think, in like 35 games in the American League. And then Mark Johnson, the great U.S. player who won the gold medal in 1980, he separated his shoulder and I got called up. And I did okay. And then I got sent back down. And then I got called up a second time for a longer stint. And I didn't do so great. And I got sent back down. And then... Um, I got called up in February and Emil Francis was the general manager. And you talked earlier about having a coach believe in you. I had a general manager that thought for whatever reason I could play. And so he, he told me, you're going to be here till the end of the year. Um, just play. So I think I scored, well, I got 11 goals in 44 games, but I want to say I got 11 goals in the last 25 or so games, 10 goals in the last 25 games or so. And that really solidified me. But what happened was when I got called up, they called up on the same day, myself, Ulf Samuelson, Paul McDermott, Kevin Deneen. Like this became part of the core. Ronnie Francis, of course, was already there. And so we became part of the core of a really great Whaler team. So some of it was the right time. Some of it was I had to mature into a pro game against, 
guys that were just way bigger and stronger. But I had a gift, I guess, of being able to see the play, to know where to go, to how to get my little body in and out of where the traffic was most of the time. And I, I even see it today. There's guys that have these engines that just churn along, but their computer doesn't see the thing at, at the same speed. And so that slows their legs down. What's one, what their gift is, is their speed. They can't use it because the processor doesn't go the same way. That's just the way it is. So then for an Euler question, uh, Jesse Pugliarvi coming back to uh, the NHL, is it going to be a success? I, I think he's an NHL player for sure. Um, I thought they, <clears throat> they asked too much. They mishandled him. Um, and then he, he got overwhelmed. And the more he got overwhelmed, the worse he got. Um, I, I thought, like, it, like, yes, he's from this little tiny town in the north of Finland. I thought they should have, uh, when he got drafted, they should have brought him to the, the Finnish Elite League and had him play in a bigger city, get, a, get acclimatized to living in a bigger place. While he's there, make it mandatory for him, well, as mandatory as you can make it, to take English lessons. So the next year when he came to Edmonton, that he would have had a better understanding of what was going on. Um, maybe he comes as a 19-year-old and you don't start him in Edmonton. You start him in the American League, like I did. And he gets his feet wet in pro hockey and you call him up at Christmas. Well, then the expectations are like this, they're lower and you can reach it. The bar was so high for that kid. He couldn't speak English. He's going to fail. Just think if you got dumped in the middle of Finland as an 18 year old. Well, I played in Finland at 25 and I was the only English speaking guy. And so I had to have our goaltender who played a cup of coffee in, uh, whatever league it was somewhere in the States. I can't remember now. He'd have to skate over to me every drill in practice to explain in broken English what we were about to do. It, it is a very big that, culture how shock. Lonely, how lonely that would be. It was because lonely. Finished, right? Then what do you do? You go back to your apartment, right? Yep. Yeah, and you find ways to entertain yourself because you literally, <laughs> you're trying to teach yourself a language, but you don't know. I mean, if anyone's tried Finnish, Finnish is not exactly the easiest language to learn. And I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I, I tell you what, when the Oilers hired Ken Holland, I thought, you know, there's a lot people will say this and that about some of the contracts he had in Detroit, but one of his things that is his best track record is he doesn't rush guys. And when you rush people, that's when mistakes happen. Well, I know Ken quite well. I would consider him a good friend. Um, play a lot of golf and, you know, a lot of, a lot of BS sessions uh, as you're walking around the course. Um, he is a great, great person. Um, he has a real understanding of how hard it all is. Um, so people say, well, why doesn't he just go out and get another goalie? Do you not think he knows? <laughs> like, but you have an $81 million cap or this, well, this is my favorite is when, and this doesn't pertain to Ken, but to, any general manager, when the media starts screaming, they've got to go get a top right winger. They know. They know they need a top right winger. You cannot invent a player. You can't just say, okay, here you go. They got to find them. And by the way, if you find them, the team that has them probably doesn't want to give them to you. And if you draft him, 
Like they've got an NHL player in Dylan Holloway this year. He's that guy's an NHL player. There's not a doubt in my mind. He plays for my brother-in-law at the university of Wisconsin. That kid's an NHL player, but he's not ready tomorrow. Right. He's just a kid. And so you can rush them along certain guys, Connor McDavid, rush them along. Oh, how, oh. Did, Le- how did Leon Dreisaitl do? Oh, he went back to junior. Connor McDavid, went- Connor McDavid is like, there's always an exception to the rule. There is. Right. Of there is. And so to compare people or, and the other thing you can't do, and I think, and this is directly for Euler fans is because past managements have rushed their number one picks doesn't mean that's what this management is going to do. So the mistakes that were made have nothing to do with the guys. Now, the fact that uh, I want to say it was 10 years that the Oilers didn't win in California or win in Anaheim or something. Wasn't it something crazy like that? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Well, that has nothing to do with the players today. What it meant was the players that played then couldn't win. It's got nothing to do with the guys today, except it's the same jerseys. I 100% agree. I had to get, squeeze in a Euler one on you. Uh, no now, problem. <laughs> let's do the Crude Master Final Five. A shout out to uh, Heath and Tracy McDonald, uh, sponsors and believers in the podcast since the very beginning. Um, just really appreciate, A, before we get into this, uh, you, you hopping on, Ray, uh, your insight, your your thought process, just truly enjoy. Um, your first one is, I, I mean, you guys sit down on Rain Drags and you have – Man, your guest list, like some of the guys that have come on there are top notch. So if you could sit down and do this um, with one person, who would you take that you haven't had already to sit and just really like pick inside your brain or pick inside their brain? In the hockey world? Nah, you know, I'll I'll stretch it and go beyond that because you guys have had some of the top names in hockey come on and, and talk unless it is a hockey guy, then totally fine. But, um, okay. Well, we're in a political season right now. Yes, we uh, are. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would, uh, I would say Barack Obama. I, I just, you know, you can say, oh, his track record on foreign policy and all that wasn't this, or he wasn't, that. he, he seems like a person that I would like to ask, a hundred questions of, because there is, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. I, he interests me. He is uh, the last politician. I was in college at the time and they, we, I was in, uh, in upstate Wisconsin and, uh, they wheeled in an old TV and put his debate on and we watched it for like an hour and he was, Oh, he's just mesmerizing. He's one of the last, po- only politicians maybe in my lifetime that when he talks, you listen because he's got something to say and he's very well, just fantastic guy to listen to. So he'd sit across from him. Yeah, that would be, heck, I'd pay, so I'd pay be, to see that. He would be my, he would be my first choice as far as, as far as hockey. Um, he would never do it, but my boyhood idols, Bobby Orr. Bobby doesn't do much media. Um, Why is that? He just, he's a really private person. Um, When I started uh, watching hockey in May of 1970, Bobby was flying through the air. Um, That picture. Oh yeah. Signed. 
is signed for uh, for our wedding, and um, uh, you know is pretty pretty amazing. It's you know it's one of my one of my favorite favorite things. Um, the Bruins were my team. Bobby Orr was my guy. I I would just love to get him to to just open up and. I, I can't even imagine the world they lived in. Right. And, um, just to, you know, I had a new knee on September 24th put in they through multiple surgeries when I got hurt, eventually I needed a new one. I'd like to talk to him about, you know, what happened to him when he got surgeries and how it ended his career. And he, he played under eight, 900 games. Right. Um, but he would be, he would be my number one on in the hockey world. He still has my favorite. We grew up every Christmas. We got Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em. That was that was a highlight of Saturday mornings in the Newman household. And I still remember him embarrassing the Flames on the penalty kill where he stands behind the net and nobody will chase him because they know if you chase Bobby, he's going to go. And then he does what he does and goes end to end, scores, puts his head down because he embarrassed the Flames. It's Yeah, he would have been electric to watch oh, uh, live. Yeah. If you were a commissioner for the day, you get to take over Bettman's job for a day mm. and you can bring in one rule or remove one rule. What would you do? Oh boy. Um, I only get one, eh? <laughs> I'll well, open I mean, it up. Question. I get, you know, I got to answer <laughs> with just one. Okay. Now this may seem a little crazy, but Scotty Bowman, who is, just brilliant. He's on your list of 85 year olds. You don't want to fight. Scotty is hit. I mean, he is Scotty's built man. And he is, uh, he is sharp. He's long talked about a ringette line across the top of the face-off circles in each zone. And so I would put the red line back in, but a two line pass would have to come from inside the ringette line to the red line. Okay, so you'd be able to pass it that far. And here's why. There is no play more boring in hockey, more useless, more sucks the life out of the game than the defenseman that stands behind the net, slaps it up the boards, and the other guy tips it into the other zone where the far goalie stops it behind the net for their goalie or for their defenseman to slap it up the other side to tip it in the other end. So there are times when I've said to Gord Miller or Chris Cuthbert, um, this is like air hockey. You've, you've played air hockey, right? Yes. So you know how the puck just bounces around and sometimes it goes in the net? That's what some games look like. If you had a red line, then the defensemen have to defend the red line because if they don't and they sag back, now you're going to have these forwards coming so fast at you and you've given them too much gap. Right now, all they have to defend is the blue line. They don't have to defend the red line, right? Because the forwards are not swinging way back. They don't have to swing inside the red line to stay on side. But if they have to swing back in there and you get a 25, 30-foot pass, and now you're going full steam, those defense are coming up to the red line because they want to take away your time and space. Now they come up, you chip it past them. Now you've got a foot race into the zone. Now you've created offense, you create plays. But the other thing that happens is the game slows down just this much, just a little. And when the game slows down, you get great plays. Right now, the game is so fast. I thought as the game opened up, Sean, 
uh, goals would become a plenty. What I missed was speed kills offense because speed means you don't have the puck. All you got to do is get in the way. So if you're a really fast player, which most are now, you can, you can defend. You can get in the way. If the game slows down, you got to think. You've got to be in the right place. You can move the puck. You can receive it and make a pass instead of it comes to you, chip it in and go get it. It's like you're on the punt coverage team. Get it, kick it down the ice and go get it. That would be my change. I like that. Slowing the game down, you got to think. Yeah, just a little, not a lot. I don't want to go back to the, and they'll say, oh, you want to turn it back to the old way. No, I played in the old way when it used to be a wrestling match up through the middle of the ice. We used to do drills at practice. We practiced interference. Like, could you imagine? It was a penalty every time. You're like, hold up <laughs> on the draw. And you'd hold up the guy like, this is a penalty every time. We did. If you could pick two line mates, who would you take? Of today's game, like in sure. today's game, yeah. sure. Um, oh boy, probably Kucherov and Ovi. Kucherov and Ovi, that'd be fun to watch. Because I'd just weasel my way around the front of the net. <laughs> I'd give the puck to Kucherov, and he can find Ovi. And if there's a rebound, I'd shoot it in. That would be my that would be my way of playing. I don't know if any of us would check, but man, we would we would uh, I think we could be a pretty good line. Seattle Kraken. I've had many a discussion about the name Kraken, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, your wife is a scout for them, correct? Yes, she is. Yeah. Okay. So Kraken, are you a fan of the name or not? Or are you I, I am for sure. And this is why. Um, it's not the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs and tradition. And we're in, right, 2020. We're trying to attract people to the game. The games are now, um, media is now fast and changing and creative. Just think of the mascot of the Kraken. It's different. I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I love the colors. Um, they have not missed yet. I mean, I know they don't have any players, but man, they have not missed in anything that they've done so far. I like the name a lot. And I, I will give it this. When you uh, come into the rink, you could have a lot of fun with the name Kraken and the fan experience. They're, 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 they're in an enviable spot, kind of like Vegas was. You don't have anything. You don't have to change anything. You can just build whatever you want. And so everything Seattle's doing is going to be built from the ground floor. They have, they've hired all these creative young people to reimagine the fan experience as they would go to the games. And I'm like, man, that's so cool. But they didn't have to undo anything because there was nothing. Final one for you. You sat in, uh, you've been in between the benches at hockey games an awful lot. What's the most creative thing you've heard a player say? Well, it was, it was Steve Ott. And I won't say the team he was playing against, um, but there was a scrum in front of the net and Ott punched this guy in, in the face as, as they left the scrum. 
And instead of going straight to his bench, he skated in front of the other team's bench on the way to his bench. And he said, you guys can thank me later. I know you all want to punch him in the face. So I just did it for you. And he skated into the bench and there was about eight guys that were just howling on their side. And I, I just thought it was it was because he didn't even slow down. He's like, you guys can thank me later. I just punched him in the face. I know you want to do it. And he just kept on going. I'm like, that That's, we talk about different talents. Having a quick wit like that is a talent. It, it is. And he, he built a long career and now a Stanley Cup champion as a coach, uh, assistant coach in St. Louis and entertaining guy. Well, Ray, this has been um, this has been highly enjoyable for me. I, I really appreciate you hopping on, and uh, best of luck with you know your podcast, and you know hopefully uh, NHL season firing back up and and everything else. But uh, love seeing your work, and look forward to seeing you back uh, in between the benches, hopefully sooner than later. Well, thanks, Sean. This was fun, and uh, again, sorry it took me so long to get here, but we got it done, and. Uh, I'm with you. Hopefully we've got something in 2021 that is going to look a little bit more normal and to everybody listening, look after yourselves, be safe. And um, let's hope, hope the new year brings some, some great stuff. Thanks again. Hey folks. Thanks again for joining us today. If you just stumble on the show and like what you hear, please click subscribe. Remember every Monday and Wednesday, a new guest will be sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you find your podcast fix. Until next time.